Okay. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Mama Marketer Podcast. I'm your host, Olivia, and this week I'm actually here with another one of my cousins. I have my cousin Serena on here with me today, and very similar to what I said last week, we just were we were together recently as a family, and we just kind of reconnected, and typically on the show, I like to interview people uh, that are entrepreneurs and figure out, like, what is it about this specific path that that appealed to you? Why did you choose to do this path? And then what journey did you take to get there? Because with entrepreneurs, it's kind of different. But what I'm noticing is that there are women out there that I know naturally that just have really cool jobs and, and the, the paths that they took to get there are just as unique as the entrepreneur paths. And so, um, so yeah, that's kind of why we're here. So I didn't spoil anything. Why don't you tell us, um, tell us what your two main, besides being a mom and a wife, your two main jobs outside of the home. Tell us what those are. Yeah. So um, my name is Serena Nelson um, and I am a wife and a mom, um, but I am also a pastor. Um, I'm an ordained elder in the church of the Nazarene. And so my husband and I uh, are currently co-pastoring together um, at a church in Carlsbad, New Mexico called Church Street Church of the Nazarene. Uh, and then I am also um, a forensic scientist slash crime scene investigator. Um, and so I do that also um, outside of, of the ministry role. Um, they often intersect. So I say outside of that, but a lot of times they intersect. And so um, that's kind of my, my other job, I guess you could say. So I would be considered a bivocational pastor, which um, most are nowadays more are than aren't. Um, but that's, so I don't, I, you know, more of a bivocational pastor, but I guess you could say I'm also a bivocational crime scene investigator. I don't know. <laughs> yes. Yeah. That's interesting. Depending how you, how you word that, you know? <laughs> yes. Um, okay. So, uh, tell me how, okay. So first tell me, how did you end up in these two roles? So I knew that I wanted to do crime scene investigation before I ever knew I wanted to do ministry. Um, so both of my parents were in law enforcement. And so I knew I never wanted to be a cop. <laughs> so that's first and foremost is I don't have a gun and a badge. I'm not a commissioned officer. I'm a civilian. Um, but I also knew uh, because of my parents, that that was a realm that was uh, up and coming, but it was very necessary. And they also knew I loved science. And so they kind of exposed me to that. Um, and, and so that kind of started that track. Um, and I was probably 15 uh, when I really honed in on that and was really interested. I will say I had a lot of opportunities, um, obviously with my parents to have a lot of questions with other people in the field. And I was always told even in high school, like, Hey, not very many places hire civilians. You're going to have to be an officer for a couple of years mm -hmm. before you can like test or even be eligible to promote. And you might not even get it then. So they're like, mm. you know, to be a civilian, that's going to be, you know, next to impossible, but it's, there are some and they're, probably going to be more. So it was something that was like, okay, I'll have to kind of, um, hope for the best and plan for the worst. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and so I kind of just went that route, but I also have always been the person that if you tell me what I can't do, 
mm. I'm probably going to go ahead, try to do that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and if it works out great and if it doesn't, then, you know, I have a backup plan, so it'll be fine. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so I kind of just landed on my feet, but, uh, I really pursued that, um, in college, but it, even then my freshman year of college, they discontinued my forensic science degree. Oh no. <laughs> Yeah. So I had to sit with my advisor and, and he's like, Hey, your degree isn't a thing anymore. So I'm just going to try to take you the best route and get you as close as possible. Uh, and we're just going to supplement with some other classes to get you there. And so I said, okay. <laughs> uh, so what I landed on was biotechnology, which is my bachelor's degree. Um, and so I have a included minor of biology and chemistry. Mm. But I also went ahead and supplemented with obviously a lot of criminal justice. So I have a minor in criminal justice. So uh, that was really helpful. Um, and I think it was really beneficial um, because in the long run, that door wasn't immediately open. But because I had that degree and the training and experience, and I just really loved lab work too, I was able to work in a variety of labs before I landed where I'm at now. Uh, and I think all of them have benefited me to the point that I am now. So they were all, I wouldn't say any of them were a waste of time. I, mm. I use a little bit of all of them, even to this day. Wow. Um, and then in college, I, I was already, um, I'd been going to church and I was really trying to figure out as many young adults do like, God, what do you want me to do? Mm -hmm. <laughs> and, yep. uh, I was kind of watching everyone else either fall away, uh, entirely mm -hmm. or, being really called and like knowing exactly what they were going to do. Mm. And so it was really frustrating to kind of be in the middle, but I, um, was just in Sunday school one day and the lesson just hit me like a ton of bricks. And I just mm. knew um, I was already doing so much ministry. Uh, and I was just avoiding it at all costs saying that I was <laughs> ever doing or going to do ministry. Mm. Um, so if you had asked me if I ever would have pursued that, I would have been like, no, you're crazy. Um, <laughs> but I, you know, then I realized he's already doing it in my life. So I mm -hmm. might as well kind of pursue that. And so I knew, okay, um, I'm going to go ahead and do this. So I took all of the course of studies to, to do mm -hmm. ordination and started that at the end of college, which was crazy because I was already <laughs> taking hard classes. So one more thing was not what I needed, but right. um, I also just trusted God's not going to ask me to do something that he's not a part of and not willing to work with me and see me through. So I just did that. Yes. And he did. Yeah. Um, so I yeah, love that's how I wound up being a pastor CSI. <laughs> yes. Oh my gosh. So many things. So first of all, I love, I'm a big fan of the verse and I'm, I'm bad at knowing exactly where they're at, but there's the verse that says that what he starts in you, he will bring to completion. So all you, he had already started the tug on your heart. You just had to wait for him to complete it, you know, like, and we had to, of course, listen, that's the hardest part. Um, so that's, that's really cool to see that he had already laid the, the foundation for you to pursue ministry. Um, and then, yeah, what's, so what's, what's interesting about your interview and then the one with your sister, who's a paralegal, um, is that obviously you, you both had parents in law enforcement and that shaped y'all's career path, not just in your own minds, but it sounds like your parents actively like letting you talk to other people that were in the field and laying the groundwork. Like, it sounds like they really prepared you in a way, like they really planted seeds along with you. Um, and it's so interesting that like not that neither one of you girls 
became a police officer or became a prison guard. Yeah. Like you, you're in the industry, but yeah. in different ways. And it's just, it's so interesting how, cause I feel like in my mind, I'd be like, okay, I don't want to be a cop. So I'm just going to like, not, I'm just going to rebel. And that's just not going to be it because we're not the same, you know, but it's so cool how your parents like kind of unearthed these other things in you along the way. That's really cool. Absolutely. (laughs) I remember my dad vividly telling me, do not ever take any kind of oath or I will kill you before you can raise (laughs) your hand and finish the oath. And so that meant like, he didn't want me to be in the military, which yes, they both were. He didn't want me to be an officer, which they, so it was just like, I remember that vividly, but, um, so when my sister went in the military, I got to see that. And it was like, I shouldn't probably tempt fate because he was, it worked out. I mean, he wound up loving the fact that she was in, but, um, Yeah. yeah, he always gave me a hard time. He's like, and yeah, you getting as close as you can to law enforcement without, taking an oath, like yeah. way to go, you know, like he would just give yes. me a hard time. Like, of course you would flirt yeah. with the edge of that. So, <laughs> and I'm, that, I'm going to have to remember that oath thing because I'm one of the few parents I know that's like, I really, really do not want my boys to be in the military. I don't think it's a career path. I don't think it's a good way to pay for college. I don't think and none of it, none of it appeals. And my husband keeps reminding me that probably means they will. The more I stick my two feet in, the more it's going to look attractive to them, but I just like, oh my gosh, anything else, anything else, like literally, <laughs> but we'll see. So I like the whole oath thing. Like I better be there for the oaths in your life. It. I considered it really heavily, but I just knew, just knew from being in law enforcement, a family of law enforcement. I just knew I have such a healthy respect and regard and admiration and love of what they do and how they do it and the call that it takes on their life. And I just knew I don't have that. And I knew that if I don't have that and my heart is not totally in it, it is a horrible idea. And so I just, I've always just really obviously loved it, but I just knew that is just not for me, but I love and respect people that it is. And so I just, I considered it, but then it's like, I, I just can't, I yeah. can't in good faith pursue that if I'm, I'm not into that yeah. or called into it uh, like I was into like ministry per se. So, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So you talked earlier, you mentioned earlier that the two jobs actually do intersect a lot. So my next two questions are kind of playing off of that. So I would love to know, do you feel like being a pastor and being a CSI, do you feel like they complement each other at all? And do you feel like they like con like what's the biggest contrast you, you see? So I, I definitely, they do intersect. Um, I will say both of them put me in prime situations where I am there on potentially the worst day in someone's Mm. life and they are reaching for answers and they need clarity in the chaos. Uh, And that can be ministry and that can also be crime scene. Uh, And so I, I think those are very similar. Uh, I also see the teamwork aspect. Um, I can't do all the ministry. Um, Mm. So I have to partner with all the different types and all of the different people that God sends to me to be able to be most effective to the Mm. most people. Uh, And same with crime scene. I have to, I have to be a team player and I have to do my part and I have to let people help. And I have to, you know, trust the people that have been hired and and put alongside me to, to get to that desired outcome, just like with ministry. So 
that's pretty similar. Um, and then I definitely feel like both are calling. Um, mm. And I think both give me a good opportunity to be a light in a dark place. Mm. Um, obviously church is, um, I would say for the most part, people are on their best behavior. Um, mm. But I think most effective ministries when they come just as they are uh, mm. and, and God likes us that way anyways. But uh, then I also think with law enforcement, um, they are under such a microscope now more than ever and as they should be, but it is so difficult, you know, and it's evolved and it's gotten so much more hostile. Um, mm. and the same could, could be said about church too. But, um, yeah. I think for law enforcement, it's been, um, they're very much under the microscope. Um, but it's a different world. It's a different realm. Um, one of the biggest differences, for example, is I can go to my office at church and I can talk with people and there'll be very minimal, like cussing or lewd conversation, mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> but in law enforcement, oh my gosh, um, <laughs> man, there's not a day that goes by that there is not cussing or lewd conversation. Like, oh my gosh. that is just the environment. It's similar to military or, um, yeah. I hear kitchens and cooks like that's similar. And so it's like, yeah. Yeah. So they're, they're vastly different in that area. Um, yeah. but I like, I like it though. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> Would you say that, um, I think they're both pretty male dominated. Yeah. Is that what leads to the, the language and the, Absolutely. Yeah. I definitely <laughs> think the male driven aspect, especially of, of law enforcement, I joke. And I always have obviously with my dad, but, and he has always said similar is like, it's, it's a bunch of, it's mostly men. Um, but it's really like a bunch of teenage boys that grew up and have guns now. <laughs> oh gosh. <laughs> and have a job that they actually have to then- follow rules. <laughs> um, and so, but they are often a lot of fun. And so I will say that. Um, but, and, it, and I, I do see though, they flip that switch when there's an emergency or when there's something, mm. um, that really is kind of yeah weighing and they know like, this is my job. I, I, I love how they just fly into action without thinking or hesitating. Um, so I, I do, I think it's definitely a male driven. And then I think with ministry also it's, it's male driven, um, for a lot of reasons. Um, but yeah, so being a a female law enforcement and then being a female in ministry. Um, yeah, yeah, I always tell people like, uh, I I was talking with a a female politician and she was like, yeah, I mean, we're like a rare breed. I'm like, Mm -hmm. listen, honey, you think (laughs) politicians are a rare breed? Try being a female minister or a female law enforcement or both. Like, yes. Yeah. And I don't know a whole lot about the church of the Nazarene, but I, I will say that I give them all the props in the world for letting you be an ordained elder in their church because, I mean, we grew up Catholic and that would never happen in the Catholic church. And even the non-denominational church that I'm at now, that's, that's not something that I I mean, I asked that question. I asked that question on when are we going to have a female elder? And I was told via the Bible that it wasn't a thing that, that we appreciate the support of the women, but that they wouldn't be on that, that title, you know? So I give your church, like, it makes me want to come visit sometime and go because I just, I don't buy that old excuse anymore, you know? <laughs> yeah. And that's the thing is I think that, um, the, I think the Christian, um, church, and I mean like the, like the big yeah. Catholic capital C church, the global church has been really inundated with some of that. And I think that, um, I, uh, there, 
but I will say there's just as much on the other side of that, obviously, um, I'm proof of that, but there's just as much on the other side of that, but it, it doesn't get as heard and it doesn't, I don't think it, it's tolerated as much on, on the whole, um, much with a lot of topics and issues. It doesn't yeah. make them any less accurate or relevant, um, but it just doesn't get put out there as much. And so um, similar, like with media, you get what they want you to get. Uh, yeah. And so I think that's part of it too, is there's some of that and um, just afraid of change. And yeah, I, I think it's similar to a lot of other issues. It's just unfortunate how it plays out, but yeah, I've, I've had countless conversations about that. And, and I'm, one thing that I always just tell people is there wouldn't be fruit in my ministry if it wasn't um, ordained or called by God. So right. that's one thing I can always kind of he's the only affirmation I need. So I, yes. I kind of yeah. run with that. <laughs> yes. I love that. That's so good. Um, and then it's so funny for me to, um, picture you in this very like male dominated, like law enforcement industry, because like, you're not for people, I'm not using the video or anything, but like for people just Serena is not like a masculine feminine, like she is a fully feminine feminine. Yeah. <laughs> and so yeah. to see you of all people, um, in the middle of like, you know, the locker room, not that you share the locker room with them, but you know, in, in the middle of that is like, like so entertaining to me. Yeah. <laughs> I can only yes. imagine. <laughs> yes. And I've always been kind of a tomboy, not afraid to do the hard stuff or difficult things. And my parents were both part of that, but, um, yeah, but I'm also very much like, I like a good pedicure. Yeah. Anytime. Yeah, you like, were always athletic, but you still, when you weren't in your like softball clothes, you were in like girly clothes, you know, you didn't absolutely. live in that realm. So I can just imagine seeing you like in the lab <laughs> absolutely. with a bunch of dudes. <laughs> so yes. I love it. Um, okay. So, um, I think we kind of talked, we kind of covered about what you, what first drew you to CSI work. Um, and then you kind of talked about being, you know, in a, in your teen years and kind of, uh, looking at that as a career path. But I'm wondering if when you, after you already were working as a CSI or even a pastor, whichever one makes sense for you to answer, but was there like a aha moment where you were like, this is me doing the right thing. Like this is the correct path that I should have pursued. And, and this is why, did you have a moment like that? Oh yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, and like, I, I wanted to do CSI. I've always known that. And I pursued that and, and obviously did that, but with ministry, like, I didn't want to do that. Uh-uh, <laughs> like no way. Uh, but of course that's what God asked me to do. So, um, so it was kind of a, a one I, I knew and loved and wanted the other one. I really didn't want to have anything to do with. Uh, but then, yeah, definitely seeing God come through on both of them and having those mm. moments of like, this is where I'm supposed to be. Um, I will say when I, I worked for the state um, in the state crime lab as a forensic scientist, and I did have a moment there where I was um, very much led to do only full-time ministry uh, mm. in the church that was like, couldn't hardly even pay us. And so it was like, I'm not going to make money. And that's very intimidating. Mm. And I learned though, that the world has really inundated us with how much you do is who you are and how much you make is who you are and yes. uh, the title you have and the promotions you get. Um, and man, I was so convicted. I was just, I was following right in that. I mean, and, and it wasn't a bad thing, but I realized that it had become a bad thing. It was a hindrance to me, but then also like my ministry. Um, yeah. And so it was kind of a pride thing. Uh, and so I, I was really, 
I had to really step out in faith. And I had people asking like, are you, are you scared to like quit your job? I'm like, yeah, I'm terrified. It gets the dumbest, like by man's standards, it's the dumbest thing. But I know that this is where God, I know this is where God wants me. And he's, he's teaching me things already. So I can't imagine what he's going to teach me in this season. So I did do full-time ministry only, um, Mm, and saw very much like, wow, this, this is incredible. And I, and it really kind of affirmed, like, this is what I'm meant to do. I want to do this. There's fruit here and I need to take it seriously, Mm -hmm. just as seriously as my other job. Um, and there wasn't much money and there wasn't always the glory or the titles. Um, Mm -hmm. I remember one day vividly, I cleaned a toilet, sent some emails, followed up with some people. And then there was a plumbing leak that I'm now, and I'm like all in the day of a pastor, right? Like they don't prepare you for plumbing in in ordination. Um, but that's just, you just do what, what God puts in front of you. And, uh, but then also I, I remember very vividly driving down, uh, downtown Amarillo. And my husband asked me, do you think you'll ever do crime scene or forensic science ever again? And I said, I don't know. I'm going to trust the Lord and I'm going to be willing, but I know if Amarillo police department, and we were driving right by it. I said, if the Amarillo police department will hire a civilian as a CSI, I'll know for sure. Cause I'll, I'll, I mean, I'll go for it because that'll be a God thing. And so if that ever happens, I'll know that's a God thing. And I'll know that I'm back at it. And mm. literally within probably six months, I got an, oh uh, an email from a mentor within the church, but also that was in the Amarillo police department. Um, again, where those avenues cross, but yeah. he said, Hey, we just got word. We're hiring a civilian and I need your mm. resume right now because I want you in yeah. on this. And so That's I was awesome. the first civilian ever hired at Amarillo police department on a unit. Um, wow. and so it was a God thing. And I knew, yeah. um, obviously it was like, Whoa, like God literally did exactly that thing. Yeah. So I knew then I wasn't going to take it for granted. Um, and man, I will also say that was one of the most powerful seasons of ministry I had in and out of the police department and in and out mm. of the church. Um, but man, yeah, just so many affirming moments and then coming yeah. to Carlsbad, um, having both of those doors open to me again, like it's mm. just crazy and he does it. So it's like, obviously yeah. this is something yeah. for me. I had several people even tell me here, like we needed someone like you and that's mm. been in the police department and it's been in the church where it's like, man, we needed you. We needed someone yeah. like you. We needed a female pastor. We needed someone who has your experience, you know, so it's been really affirming and I have to really check myself not to get too proud of it. <laughs> yes. Well, and so, so many things that I agree with you on. Um, that's one of my favorite things to do is look back on life. And there are times where either you can see that he is guiding your path and you can see where you didn't listen and you can see how that works out. But then as you mature and grow, you can see times where he's guiding you and you do abide and you do listen and how much easier things work out when, when you're on that path. So, um, it sounds, it sounds like he was, was doing just that he had to kind of check your priority list a little bit, but then still unleashed you. Um, and I talk all the time about hidden idols. In fact, my church is doing a thing on idols right now, but here's the thing. I would love to sit in a church sometime and have a pastor give us the idol sermon, but talk to us about the idol of career 
and Mm. of degree and of salary and Mm. of like title, because in this country specifically, other countries I hear have a better balance. I think it is such a big idol of ours. I mean that in sports, I think sports is a big idol. I, I would love to see a pastor be like super bowl Sunday. I'm not making it a short sermon because I don't care because that's an idol and you can stay for church longer. Um, but, but yeah, so it's, it's, I like that he like kind of took you down to like stripped away this thing that you had put that you knew you wanted to do all along, kind of Mm -hmm. stripped that away and had you focus on the scary thing, you know, past being a pastor and just really sensing from the Lord, you know, I was like, Oh, but this, and Oh, I'm going to trust you, but Oh, this is all, this is awful. You know? And and that whole thing, I think it's normal and it's fine. And he, he totally took it and is, is okay. And you know, my walk was yeah. better for it, but I also yeah. very much sensed him telling me like, Hey, that's your dream, but I mm. have a dream for you too. And, yes. and it's going to be okay. You know? And so it was like, I had to trade my dream for his dream. And yeah, imagine that when I did it, I actually, it actually worked out, you know? Yes. I yeah. I love yeah. that verse about how he is the author and perfecter. So he was reminding you that he was the author and then he went and perfected it for you a little bit. Absolutely. He's way better (laughs) at it. I couldn't have, I couldn't have made those situations up in my life. Like, but he did. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, Okay. So we talked a little bit about the steps that you take to prepare for the job. So I know you talked a little bit about like uh, your degrees in college, which I think is helpful. And then for your ordination, did you, uh, is that something that your, your church provides a program for that? Or is that something you looked to an outside school? for, or what did that look like for you? Um, so you could do both, um, within the church of the Nazarene. Um, but the church of the Nazarene does have universities all around the world. Mm -hmm. Um, and they have seminary, they have, um, all kinds of, of different, um, studies in that realm, in that Avenue. But one thing that I really love is that, um, particularly for where I was at is they also took, and they said, Hey, not everybody's going to be able to do this. Not everybody's gonna be able to afford it. Not everybody's going to have that capability to just drop everything and do, do Mm. seminary. And, and there is something to be said for that. I think it definitely separates the cream from the crop, but what I love is that the church of Nazarene, we're like, we don't want to miss out on potential powerful shepherds by closing these doors because of these things. And so they, they said they put together what's called the course of study. And so it's Mm. all of the seminary courses. You just don't get college credit but you get mm. ordained all the same. Very um, cool. And so, and, and there's a lot more checks on it. You have to follow up every year. You have certain, a lot more things you have to do and accomplish, which there should be, cause you have to separate the, the cream from the crop, but yeah, um, man, it was so worthwhile. And I, what I loved is that, um, especially for me, I was going to school and I, I, I just could not have enrolled in two, you know, yeah. universities and, and really been able to feasibly fulfill that financially time-wise, and then just like being healthy, like emotionally and mentally and spiritually, it just would not have been realistic. So that was a much easier option for me. And, um, and so we, I pursued that and I loved having, instead of having professors teaching, I had local, um, Mm pastors and other mentors and 
and things like that in the church that were eligible to teach those classes. And so I had mentors right next to me. I was doing class, but then also opening doors to ministry with these people that Mm. I liked and admired and respected. And they were teaching me so much. And I love that I was able to like, you know, step right in, you know, after ordination, be their coworker. And we already had that relationship and we already had things growing and we were already doing things. And I loved that aspect and I thought it was extremely beneficial. And so man, ordination was so powerful and um, man, just, I loved the, the, the church enabled and equipped that, um, for me and for people like me, that it was just such, such a blessing, such a much more feasible option. Yeah. Um, I would have done it. I think I really would have done it and done seminary, but I would have had to put it off or figured something else out. And, um, and I think God just orchestrated it so beautifully because, right at the end of my studies, our, our pastor retired. And that's when we stepped in for the first time as lead pastors, as, as interim lead pastors. And even then we didn't really want to be the pastors. We were just filling in, um, and we were going to be the best, you know, assets (laughs) to the pastor coming in. And then we wound up being the pastor coming in. So, (laughs) so we stepped away. We did youth ministry primarily before that, but yeah. So yeah. he just totally orchestrated that at the right yeah. time at the right place. So again, yeah, I'm so grateful for how he set up things that would prepare me for me. And I think that's so God like to just yeah. be so one-on-one with someone like that. And it was yeah. really good for me. Yeah. And I love, uh, the way that your church has that built-in flexibility. It's almost like they know that they're not actually the ones in, in charge of cultivating their leaders. It, it just, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's so smart to build that in. I love that. Um, okay. So tell me, um, and you can answer this for both, or if you just want to focus on the CSI piece of it, whatever, whatever you think will be the most impactful to share. Um, but what would you say is the best part of your jobs and the worst part of your jobs? Um, so the best part of, I'll just start with being a pastor. The best part of of being a pastor is, um, I love being able to do life with people, um, and really being able to step into where they're at. And a lot of people, you know, especially with a pastor, they'll kind of put up the best front. Um, Mm. but I really like getting past that and, and really being able to do life with people. Um, I love helping people understand God in a way they didn't before, um, and seeing that kind of click and then seeing it play out in their lives um, as they understand, whoa, like that resonates with my spirit. Like it's gotta <laughs> be God. Uh, and so I love that. Um, it's, it's obviously there's fun things, you know, like ministry opportunities and weddings and all those mm-hmm. are really fun. Um, but honestly, it's a privilege. And, and I said this when our uncle died, uh, it really is a privilege to be able to come alongside, especially my own family, that they trust me mm. with that. And, and I take it very seriously. I was mm. more nervous to do that for our family than I have in any other funeral or I any bet. Other setting. <laughs> uh, because these are people who've known me my whole life and they're trusting me in this capacity for the first time. And I wanted to make sure to, to just really steward that well. And mm. it's a privilege though, to be able to even do, do funerals. It might not necessarily be fun, but um, yeah. To be trusted in such a serious time in someone's life and in a family's life is huge. Mm. Uh, so I love those kind of opportunities too, that I would never have had otherwise. Um, and probably the worst part about being a pastor 
Um, I think there's, I think there's sometimes some unrealistic expectations. Mm. Um, like I said, one pastor can't do all the things, um, Mm. you need help and, and you can't be perfect. You're always going to let somebody down. Um, and so that's important, um, because that sets up a lot of bad situations, uh, and a lot of hard conversations, but, Mm. um, I would also say just personally, some of those conversations about, Hey, you have no business doing this and, and then <laughs> having to have those conversations and without getting into all of the, I, I, I don't feel like I have to defend it. Uh, and so I never really try to, um, unless I feel like the spirit really has opened the door and that it's like going to be a productive conversation. Mm. Um, because I'm not going to, I'm never going to argue someone over into thinking the way I think like the Holy mm. spirit has to convince them. Mm. I can't. Uh, and so it's just kind of trusting and being on that line has been really hard and, and trying yeah. not to go too far and, and not to do, not to be a doormat, you know? And so it's, yeah. it's been a delicate balance, but, um, the best part about being a CSI, um, just for me personally, I love being able to walk into chaos and then just be able to say, okay, now I need to I need to start just with the first step and kind of go through. And, and obviously it's different for every scene or every case, but I love being able to then sit down and just pick it apart and find the answers, find some, some, uh, I don't know, coordination in the chaos, I guess you could say, uh, and just being able to provide some answers. Um, I love seeing that play out. Um, but then overall, I love, <laughs> I, I still do really love when I say, Hey, I'm a crime scene investigator. And people are like, that's cool. And I'm like, I know it's so cool. I'm still there where I'm like, it's the, it's so cool. I can't believe I actually do this job. Like, I think if I was anybody else, I would just totally think I was cool too. Like I'm there. I'm just like, it's cool. I do love it. Um, I love, I, you know, having a crime scene investigation vehicle and all those, it's like, I can't believe this is my real life, but it is. And I do love that. Um, uh, but the worst part is it's hard and it is the worst day in, in someone's life, mm. whether they're alive or whether they're deceased and sometimes mm. both, uh, mm. and, and having to see the things you see, um, has given me a whole, obviously respect for first responders and things like that. Um, but I'm right there with them. And so seeing kind of the impact that that can have, um, is hard and, and trying then to go. I have to try to provide answers and I have to do my job. And so it's hard sometimes to separate and not get all emotional or personal and and get it done. And, but then always allowing time later, like, okay, now (laughs) we process. Mm. Um, And that's been another area of ministry though, is coming alongside these people and saying, you know, they're a really underserved, uh, I don't know, congregation, I guess you could say, Mm. because they, they try not to take it home and, and, that's a valid thing. You, you can't take it all home, uh, but you have to process it and deal with it. And right. sometimes it's not healthy the way that they mm. wind up doing that. And so trying to walk with them and say, Hey, it's okay that this is not okay. It's, mm. it's going to bother you and it should like, it's yes. okay. And yeah. then trying to point them like you can trust, you might not be able to trust people. You might not be able to trust that, you know, you'll land on, on the most perfect side of all this, but you can trust God. And like, he's using you and there's, that's not an accident. Like mm. so just kind of being able to walk with them through that because I'm with them has been a, a good thing, but it's really, really hard. And they have some of the hardest, coldest, 
mm. toughest questions mm. um, of anybody. And so then just yeah. sometimes telling them, I don't even know the answer to that, but I yeah. am here and I'm going to try to walk with you through it until we figure something out. Um, yeah. And sometimes I think that has meant more to them than anything is so, even a pastor, just being a coworker yeah. and a pastor, being able to say, Hey, I don't know. And I'm not even going to try, but I'm going to do this with you and I'm not going to leave you alone in it. Yeah. Um, has been a what a thing. blessing to have you there with them because yeah, you're right. You hear that all the time where they say not to take that type of job home with you. Um, and they're probably not the type of people that are going to church and sharing it there either. Exactly. So to have exactly. someone that kind of speaks their language, but can also speak truth to them at the same time, that's amazing. Like, and I'm sure no, just my brain, even just trying to imagine some of the things you guys have seen, I 100% can see how they would have questions, you know? So that's so amazing that you're there and you're able to kind of, you know, weave in what you do outside of the lab to, to that. So I just think they're lucky to have you. That's amazing. Um, what about, um, what is the one thing that you might want other people to know about your job? And I've actually asked, uh, my past, one of my, my pastor's wife back in Texas, I asked her this question one time and I was like, what's something you, you would want it. you want people to know about, uh, being a pastor's wife. And, and she was just like, man, I wish people knew that I didn't have it all together. Like, I just wish they knew that I'm just like them and that I'm not perfect and that I need prayer sometimes, you know? Mm -hmm. And I just like that, like changed my whole outlook on how I look at anybody in ministry, like from that yeah. moment on, like it just humanized them. So same question to you, like, whether it's someone in your congregation or someone in at, at work, or even someone that, I don't know, maybe, I don't know if you run into like people on the scenes, or if you come in when it's all kind of like set, but maybe someone random you see on a scene, like what's just like one thing that you wish they knew about your jobs? Mm, I would say as far as a pastor, um, I guess it's similar to like, um, what your pastor's wife said, like, I'm real, like, I'm not <laughs> perfect. Um, and that's the same. Like, I don't, I don't respond perfectly to every situation. Um, mm -hmm. but I'm responding better as time goes on. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, and just really, I'm, I'm trying to let God do a work in me, just like you or anybody else. Mm -hmm. Um, I try as a leader, I try to be cognizant that people are watching me and I try to be very aware that, Hey, what I allow in little amounts in my life, these people that God has entrusted me with, they will justify in excess in their lives, good and bad uh -huh. mm. and being aware. I try to be very aware of that, but at the same time, like I need God as much as anybody. I need prayer. I need fellowship. Like that's been mm. one thing that somebody told us once, um, that ministry would be the loneliest job we, oh, that, wow. that is ever anyone will ever do. And I, and I think that that was true for them, but I don't think that's God. And I don't think that's what he wanted. I don't think that's what he intended or designed. And so then trying to say, okay, and everywhere we go, we pray, God, send us friends, real mm. friends that aren't afraid to see us as yours. Cause at the end of the day, we're a sheep too, mm -hmm. <laughs> and we need our flock too. And, and so just praying, God, send us those people that aren't afraid to be friends with a pastor that aren't afraid to hang out with us and aren't mm. afraid to cry with us and aren't afraid to hear our questions too, that we have mm. some, um, 
And not like, so that's not like Job's friends, like good friends. <laughs> good friends. Yeah, friends. yeah. God sent friends and he has yeah. always sent those people to us. Hmm. And so it's, and we couldn't do it without him. I couldn't, I, I would be crazier in a bad <laughs> way than I am. I think I'm a, I'm God's kind of crazy now, but, um, <laughs> but man, it's been so crucial. Um, I couldn't have done it without him. So that would be one thing is I, I need him as much as anybody else. And I need friends as much as anybody else that aren't afraid to be friends with a pastor. And I tell my friends, thank you for being my friend because it's not <laughs> easy being a pastor's friend, you know, and there's just a lot of weird things that go along with it. And I'm just so <laughs> glad God sends people that aren't afraid of that and that aren't afraid to minister to me uh, where I am too. And so that's been really huge. And so, yeah, I would just that's say awesome. we need friends that that's can awesome. hang out with us too and aren't going to judge us or, or be like, Oh, that's a weird part of their life um, <laughs> that are like, Hey, me too. So, um, and then as far as the CSI, I think, um, I don't know, I, I, uh, as a whole, I would like, you know, obviously people to know it's not like CSI and it's not like NCIS. <laughs> like, um, I don't process crime scenes in Armani and heels and I don't have a badge and a gun all the time. Right. Ever. I never have one. So, um, it's not always like that. And, and it's not as instantaneous. Like it takes months to get lab mm. results back right now. And that's pretty common all across the country. So it takes months for cases to develop and settle. And it's incredibly infuriating when, um, you know, you do all that work and then a judge or a jury then is like, well, you, you, you should get 10 years, but we'll do two. Uh, and that's, uh, I, but I worked for 10 years worth of, of this, you know, it's like, I put mm. in all that work and then they're only getting a slap on the hand. So that happens a lot. Um, mm. and that's frustrating. So I just letting people know, like I really am. And most officers, we really are doing our job, but we have to play by the rules that are given to us. And then mm. we have to then be okay with what happens like in a court Mm. And we don't get to really decide any of that. So yeah, um, it's not always that we're not doing our job. It's just sometimes we have to play by rules and be okay with the outcome yeah. like anybody else. And it, it makes us just as mad as anybody. Yeah. Um, so then, ultimately like, you're ultimately, instead of being as far as like the justice system goes, you're actually just one more step in the justice absolutely. system. It still ultimately ends in a judge's lap. And, and so, yeah, I think that's, that's good insight, both for you you know, as a human and for people that might not know anything, I was telling to your, I was talking to your sister about how Dean and I just feel like so many people don't know enough about the law and law enforcement and the rules. And the reason we're having such divisive times right now is because mm -hmm. we just were almost not even speaking the same language, like yes. someone like me, that's got no exposure to it. Um, and, and someone that works in law enforcement. And so, um, so yeah, it's like, that's, that's something good for people to know is that it's not the lab's fault or your fault. Ultimately yes. it's how that court case comes down and how that judge is feeling that day, you know? Yes, absolutely. And we're doing <sighs> most officers and, and people like me that I know we're doing the best that we can. Now there's always the exception. There's always people mm -hmm. who do it bad and make all the rest of us look bad and, and probably rightly so. I mean, but there's also all the other people that are doing yeah. the best that they can that you never hear about that you're never going to see. There's never going to be stories and news articles like, but they're, mm. we're doing the best we can. I yeah. Promise. Your sister literally was telling me how, when, uh, 
you should have a lawyer who has not made the paper. You should have a lawyer that is not in the news because that means they've done their job. Yes. They've defended people and they've gotten all, you know, like they've, they've completed cases. And so that's, that's so true too, with where you're at. Like there's a lot of people besides the one officer or the one judge or the one guard that made the news. There's a team of people that are yes. in the criminal justice realm uh, that, that, you know, and I think it's so easy to just lump it all together. Like I work with a lot of yeah. politicians and we're talking about criminal justice reform, but most of that has nothing to do with probably 80% of the people in that industry. It has everything to do with a few pieces that we've deemed problematic, but it's because that's yes. all we, as the public have access to, you know? Mm -hmm. So, um, that's so, yeah, that's so ministry, good. Just FYI. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I bet. You yeah. make us look bad. <laughs> what about advice for someone that is maybe feeling the tug either to ministry or to some type of career in criminal justice? Do you have advice for someone that's maybe a teenager or even a young adult or someone that just hasn't landed on what that career should be? And maybe as we're talking, they're like, oh, I could, I could feel that being right. Do you have advice? Yeah, as far as ministry, I would say, don't be afraid to be obedient. Um, it might not look like everybody else's and you might not be just like your pastor or a pastor you knew. That's probably a good thing. Uh, mm -hmm. And so don't be afraid to be obedient. And, and it might not look like your idea of ministry or someone else's, but it doesn't mean that God's not calling you to do it. Um, and especially in as far as being a pastor and like being ordained, um, man, Honestly, most people who know that are called into that, you can't not mm -hmm. because then not being obedient is the same thing as sin. Like, right. And once you realize that you, you realize like, I've got to do this. And so God's not going to ask again, he's not going to ask me to do this if he's not part of it and I can trust mm -hmm. him. And so it's just not being afraid to be obedient and then just trusting him and going for it. Um, mm -hmm. and, and it probably won't look like everybody else's. And like I said, it, that's probably a good thing because we need mm -hmm. all the kinds of ministry to reach all the kinds of sheep. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I think it's a, it's a good thing. And so don't convince yourself or talk yourself out of it or let other people mm -hmm. try to convince you or talk yourself out of it. Um, just listen. Uh, and it might take time. Some people it's fast. Some people it's years of, mm -hmm delving that out and just working through that with the Lord. And you know what, that's okay. Um, mm. so just, just being willing and able and to obey and, and trust him. Uh, and then as far as crime scene, um, similar, <laughs> don't let people talk you out of it because I have to <laughs> try to do that to me. Um, but, um, just not being afraid, uh, and not being intimidated by the hard part, uh, Cause mm. there's good parts. Um, you know, I love, for example, Wednesday, I'm going to the high school to talk to a bunch of students about this cool. job. And it's like, you know, I want to tell them like, Hey, you got to get real. Um, there's going to be hard things about this and, um, and PS to get there. You can't act a fool and have this crazy criminal mm. record. Like, yep. You gotta, you, is there sometimes you can't do what all your friends are doing. Mm. Uh, but it's worth it. Uh, and then same with the job. There's going to be hard things. Yeah. There's the smells. Uh, oh my gosh. The, the tough stuff. There's the children that are involved in these cases, whether they're victims or whether they're alive, whether they're deceased. Um, mm. It's hard. Uh, and, and, but it's worth it. And, and I always tell somebody has to step in and help get justice. 
Mm. And I love that part of it and it's worth it. And I take it seriously. Uh, And then especially just, you know, don't be afraid of the hard stuff, but um, you know, be, be ready to, you know, take it seriously. It is cool. (laughs) Yeah. But I think that that's, I don't know, for me, I feel like that's a perk of the seriousness of the rest of the job, Mm. but it's not all that hard. Uh, Mm. And there's some that's not, not always uh, as heavy and weighty, but a lot of Mm. it is, I won't lie. And that's one thing is you have to just be realistic. It's crime. You know, (laughs) like it's fun. It's not easy, but um, I did, a, I actually did a, a, a research project in college about this job and the difficult parts of it. And it was interesting because it was people, first responders, uh, um, funeral directors, morticians, mm. people who see death and hard stuff all the time. And what is their outlook? And, and do they have, are they just like psychos, you know? <laughs> uh, and for the most part there, there was, when people had issues, they were more serious. However, for the most part, there was a higher rate of a positive outlook on life than a lot Mm. of other professions, because you do also go home and you're like, man, I'm so grateful. I Mm. am so grateful that this didn't happen to me or that wasn't me today, or that wasn't my kid or it wasn't. Yeah. You do have an outlook on life that is so good. And part of it is just to keep yourself sane. A lot of times we Mm. do have to find ways to lighten it up and, and laugh and have a good time together. Even though we're in this hard thing, like we try to, to find positivity in each other. And then in even some things in the job that might be morbidly funny to others, but for us, <laughs> it's really funny. And, but it also keeps us sane. Yeah. <laughs> keeps us yeah. I, so my family, just something, just a balance, I guess. Yeah. For that. Yeah. My family jokes that I have a super sniffer that I will smell things that like normal people shouldn't be able to sniff out in the house. So I could not do your job. Like it would stay no. with me. I'd be scarred probably like, <laughs> so the right yeah. cousin is definitely, uh, uh, investigating the smells. Cause I, I could not, <laughs> um, okay. So before, <laughs> before we wrap, I just have a couple of questions that I like jotted down as you were talking. So I was definitely going to ask you about like CSI and NCIS and like Dexter even. So like, you've kind yeah. of already answered that it's not like that in real life, but yeah. I'm wondering Most like people in my profession will not watch those shows, but yeah. I love them. Okay. That was my question was, do you do like, which show do you as a professional, which one would you say is like the best? Like, what do you watch? So CSI bursted in me that I think that was the initial seed. And that's when I asked my mom and dad, like, Hey, is this a thing? And they're like, yeah, absolutely. And you would (laughs) probably love it. Um, and so I still, when it relaunched y'all this last fall, I was in, I was so on that bandwagon and I watch it. I am watching the CSI relaunch. Like I love it. And I will say they have gotten more accurate and a little less unrealistic, which I appreciate. Um, Okay. So yeah, uh, but yeah, I love those shows. And then I love the NCISs and yeah, I watch those too. And um, now there's some that I'm not, I'm just like, eh, whatever. Um, But (laughs) you know, for the most, part, those are pretty, my, yeah. my main ones, just cause they're the older ones. And that's what I grew yes. up with. My but dad, definitely the ones. They're kind of interesting. And I'm like, hmm, 
but I've had a case like some of them are like, oh, I've had a case like that. And it wasn't that big of a deal, you know, but I don't know. Oh my gosh. How funny. Different. Yes. Yeah. I definitely watched uh, my dad watched CSI growing mm -hmm. up. So that's probably the only one um, I've watched. I think one of my sisters is really into NCIS and then Lizzie and I are both really into Dexter. Um, haven't yes. watched the new one yet, but I'm like planning to. Um, so that's, that's really good. I like that you're Dexter's uh, on my radar too. Um, but I want to be able to like have I want to be in a show hole, I guess. Yes, that's what we um, say. And yeah. be able to like binge it because I know I won't yes. be able to stop. Yeah, we we were that way. And when it was over, we were like, oh my gosh, what do we do? And then they announced the reboot, like like right as we finished it. So we were like, yes, this is the way to do it. Watch an old show and then it gets brought back around. So, um, okay. So my last question for you, um, not necessarily what was like the most gruesome scene, but what was the, was there, was there a scene that you had to solve that was just like the craziest, couldn't have written it, couldn't have even been a CSI episode. Cause it was ridiculous. Like, is there any little tidbit you can share about like just the weirdest scene you stumbled on? Dude. Yeah. So one of the craziest that I'm like, man, this is going to be a lifetime movie. Uh, was a case in Amarillo that I walked in upon, like when I hired and they're like, we're in the middle of this and now you're in like, so you need to know all about it. And holy moly, just the craziest you have like serial killers that you can see from a mile away. And you're like, that is a creep. Right. <laughs> but then you have the ones that are like, Whoa, I could have, I could have like bought their groceries at the grocery store. Like, or mm. I could have like sat next to them in church. Like mm. I would have never pinned them down and they're crazy. Right. And those are almost the scarier ones. So we had one that was similar to that. A guy that was mm. well-known like nobody would have pinned him as this oh my crazy dude. And he was, and it was just the craziest thing watching him in interrogation, like flip a switch, like from being the good old boy. And then he's like, yeah, well, I'll just have somebody, I'll just order another hit on you and drop you in a hole somewhere. And it was just like, Oh my gosh. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Like, Dr. Jekyll, I, Mr. Hyde. Obviously Crazy. I live, obviously I live in Wichita. So, um, I'm really into true crime and I've watched everything on BTK possible, but people yeah. that, that remember when that was going on, there's people that remember that whole thing happening and it's a very sensitive Absolutely. topic. Um, but I was just watching, a, a a new, like one hour special on it the other day. And, uh, yeah, same thing. I mean, he worked at the church. I mean, he was like an Episcopal, I don't know, but he, like the letters he wrote to the media, he wrote, that's one of the ways he got caught was he was doing it on yes. a church computer. Yes. Um, and my sister and I think the craziest part about the BTK is how he was caught. I don't know if you know this story about the lab work. Mm -hmm. They basically subpoenaed his daughter's pap smear yes. to get a DNA match. And she did and like a news a story. Match. Yeah. And so that's how they arrested him. And they found all the other evidence. But my yeah. sister and I watched her like 2020 special a couple years yes. ago where she explained the feeling of knowing that your, your pap smear was stolen and yeah. subpoenaed and used to lock up your dad. And we both were just like, that does Whoa. not feel good. That, yeah. that just, I just so felt for this girl, but, yeah. um, and, but yeah, and most people now are pretty willing to help. I will say that. I mean, the general public really mostly is willing to help and they'll do anything to get closure for someone or, mm. um, so there's that. And that's, I'm, I'm so grateful. We're working a case like that right now. That's a cold case from the eighties that oh, wow. we found a match, a partial match to a family member. And so now honing in on that family tree, um, has got us down to two. And so it's like, we're waiting, oh my like gosh. the lab has it. We're like any day now. So we're like, I'm pins and needles, like 
which one of them is it? One is dead and one is alive. So we're like, ah, right. Yeah. Um, So it's literally that almost that exact scenario, just so crazy. And just a cold case that, oh, yeah. And I think to be closed so bad. There was, there was another, like the, the serial killer that was like in California and he was under several different names, but it all ended up being the same guy. And he was found via, Mm -hmm. it was a cold case. They got desperate and just decided, Hey, I'm going to submit this DNA to one of those websites. And then just like you're explaining, they narrowed it down and he, they like actually did a trial and like got, uh, yeah, got some justice there. Um, so yeah, that's so cool that you're like actually doing it in real life. And I love that you followed, followed, uh, followed your, your gut and, and waited for the Lord's affirmation and only listened to him. I think that's really cool. And I was actually worried how we were going to balance all these questions with two different (laughs) roles, but like, I feel like we did it pretty naturally. Yeah. One of the most (laughs) gruesome scenes I had was one. Um, there's only been two scenes so far that have bothered me and that I went Mm -hmm. home and even for like days or weeks or nights, I'm just like, I don't like this, you know, and, mm. and that it didn't sit well. And then I really had to pray through, like, I'm not okay with this. And it mm. was rough. One of them was a young lady that was murdered. Um, and the gentleman was on drugs and anyway, mm. but she had been stabbed over 37 times from oh, wow. her neck up. Oh my gosh. Crazy. Right. And there oh, was some gosh. others, but, and that was at least because some of them kind of ran together. So there was probably more, mm. but you can tell. And that one was really hard. That bothered me. But the main thing was that suspect, I will say I've never, I've never sensed so much evil and like being Mm -hmm. a pastor, you know, I've seen a lot of sin and a lot of hard things, but I knew looking at him because we had to go process him and get his DNA Mm. from jail. And I just remember being in the room and getting such a bad feeling and thinking this Mm. is dark. Like this is pure evil. Mm. And like his his coldness and the look in his eyes was just blank. And he was just like, almost just not even human if he wasn't mm. a human. Like, and I just remember sensing like, wow, this is darkness. This yeah. is, and just thinking like, this is what I'm up against as a pastor in a CSI. And it was overwhelming. Mm-hmm. Like, how can I, how can I make a difference in that? Like, it's so mm-hmm. much and it's so scary and so consuming. Yeah. Um, so that was, that was hard. It was gruesome, but again, like God's been good and faithful. And, um, so he's really helped me with that. And, and I, we got justice and we helped mm. and I still try to pray, you know, for some of the other people involved. And, um, and then there was another, that was uh, a family, a beautiful family that had two children and adopted four more. Um, so it was a family of eight and they got hit by a drunk driver. Um, mm. and the dad and, one of the little girls died uh, instantly. And that was hard too, you know, seeing a 12 year old girl, you know, that Mm. didn't ask for this and that a 17 year old made a bad decision. Um, Mm. And then seeing him, you know, he didn't know until I think two days later when he kind of sobered up and they finally came in and said, Hey, you were in a drunk driving accident. And he said, did I kill anybody? And they said, yeah, you killed a dad and, and, a, mm-hmm. and his little girl and they were an air force family and had adopted these beautiful children and like we're moving and mm. it was just so and he was so grief struck you know and it was yeah. like you forget like that the the suspects are sometimes the victim too and and yeah. how hard that must be and he just the cries from his soul were like mm. it got me you know and I was just like yeah how selfish have I been, you know, 
just being so biased when in actuality, like God sees these suspects and wants their soul, just like anybody yes. else. And they deserve prayer and they deserve God, you know? And it's just like, yes. well, how biased do we get? How mean and ugly do we get sometimes? Yeah. And it really convicted me in that really yeah. opened my eyes to, to some things, but made me better for it. So, yeah. I always think about when it's not like a violent crime, when it's like a, an accident or something like that, I always think about the other person and how like, you know, he's 17 years old and whether you sympathize with him or not, his life just changed, you know, yes. and I'll, I'll never forget listening to, um, I listened to an interview one time. I'm low key obsessed with like the JFK assassination. <laughs> Um, and I watched an interview one time that was with Lee Harvey Oswald's daughter. Mm. And she was talking about how there's a cafe, like wherever she, she lived like in the Dallas area and like went to college there. And there was a cafe that had like a big black and white picture of when her Mm. dad was shot by the gangster, when he was being moved Mm -hmm. and she's just like, you know, and so she talks, she talks about how there's two daughters that lost a dad that day. and how one dad was treated and how the other dad was treated. And, um, I just always think about like, why was it okay for this minor to see a photo of her father being murdered? Like she didn't pull the trigger. She didn't commit, you know, terrorism, but yet here we are in her backyard treating her this way. And so I always think about like good, bad, or otherwise there's fallout. There's other people around that, you know, maybe they weren't the main victim or the main suspect, but their lives were changed and how we treat this whole situation is going to affect them, you know? So, oh my gosh, so good. Okay. Well, I will just take us out here in a second. Do you have any last minute, um, things you want to add in or say? I don't think so. Other than man, if you ever have any questions or if anybody listens and they have questions forward them to me, I'm not afraid. Yes. Yeah, like I definitely said, partially why I see the worst and hardest. So I'm not afraid of hard questions. So, um, yeah. and I'm not afraid to go into those, those areas, obviously. So, uh, I'm totally open to that and yeah. educating and just any of that. Yeah. So very cool. Um, okay. Well, yeah. um, okay. So wherever you guys are listening, just go ahead and subscribe. If you haven't been to my website, the subscribe there as well. Also on Facebook and Instagram, like me and follow me there. And then just like Serena said, if you guys, when I post this episode, if you guys have any questions, um, I am happy just to pass those along to uh, those along to Serena. So let me know if you have a specific question or something that you heard that you maybe want clarification on, we are happy, uh, to talk with you and I'm always happy to chat as well. So, um, this was really cool. So, um, I will see you guys next time. All right. Bye.